Bibles, please, for our second reading, our Old Testament reading, to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass, and in cutting of stones to set them, and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, behold, I have given with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, And in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted have I put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded thee. The tabernacle of the congregation, and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is thereupon, and all the furniture of the tabernacle, and the table and his furniture, and the pure candlestick with all his furniture, and the altar of incense, And the altar of burnt offering with all his furniture. And the laver and his foot. And the cloths of service. And the holy garments for Aaron the priest. And the garments of his sons to minister in the priest's office. And the anointing oil and sweet incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded thee shall they do. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying... Speak also unto the the children of Israel, saying, Verily, my Sabbaths ye shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Every one that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work Therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations. For a perpetual covenant, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written With the finger of God. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. So two particular things in Exodus 31. We have the reiteration in summary form 
of the tabernacle and its worship. And notice the order, once again, is from God's perspective. Beloved, worship must be considered from God's perspective and not from ours. So we begin with where God meets with the children of Israel in that flaming torch, that Shekinah. Shekinah is just a, 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 a noun that comes from a verb shakan in the Hebrew, which means to dwell. This is where I will dwell. Sometimes you'll hear about the Shekinah of God being a, like a glowing thing that, that appeared between the cherubim. And there may be some scriptures that point to that, but the most important thing to remember is that God said that he would dwell between the cherubim. The Shekinah really speaks to God's dwelling. It doesn't speak to a shining or a flaming appearance or anything like that. It just speaks to his promise to dwell with the children of Israel. And so if he's there and he's looking, what does he see? The first thing he sees is the mercy seat. The second, the second thing is the ark. The third is what's in that next chamber. He sees the menorah. He sees the table of the showbread. He sees the altar of incense. And then moving outside, what does he see? He sees the ark. He sees the labor, right? All of that separated from the world by this tent, this, this, this covering that is over the whole thing in two different layers. And then finally, what does he see? He sees the priests that approach unto him. So we note then that worship is considered scripturally from God's perspective. That means that's how we must consider it as well, from God's perspective. Like we said earlier, there is no mediate client between us and God. There is no other perspective that should enter in to the worship of God. He commands the elements that he receives. It may be a good thing to review momentarily the distinction between elements of worship and circumstances of worship, just so we remember what we're doing here. Pastor, is uh, the kind of lighting that we have in this church, is that commanded by God too? I mean, he commanded the menorah. What about here? No, it's not commanded. It has to be ordered according to what? The light of nature, Christian prudence, and the general rules of the word. The light of nature means if you're going to be reading your Bibles, you need light. So the amount of light in the space has to be enough. As a former uh, lighting designer, I, I, I tell you that when we designed these lights in here, we made sure that you had enough light on the surface of your Bibles. That's why there's a spotlight right there that hits the surface of this Bible. So that whoever's up here can see what they're reading. This is what light is for in the worship of God. Right? Um, Christian prudence. What is Christian prudence? Christian prudence is that it's not going to be so bright that it blinds you. That you walk in and everybody, you know, the pastor looks up from his, from his notes and he sees everybody wearing sunglasses because they can't bear it. Right? Or too dark that you can't read. Christian prudence, right? And then the general rules of the word. And the general rules of, of the word are that it's not going to detract from the worship of God. It's not going to become the focus. So we don't have color changing LEDs. Or strange things like that. Flashing lights and smoke that would obscure the lights. And all sorts of other strange things that obtain in quote worship services. End quote today. So 
Circumstances and elements are different things. The elements are the things that God commanded to, to be offered unto him. The circumstances are, are common to all human actions and societies. If you're going to meet, you need a building. You need a time. You need perhaps chairs. Uh, you know, maybe in some churches the, the services are short enough you can stand the whole time. Obviously, we don't have that here, right? So you need something to sit on, right? Um, one, one thing we don't do is we don't make the chairs so comfy and, you know, we have theater seating so that, you know, half of you nod off by the time we're halfway through, right? That would be contrary to Christian prudence. So those are circumstances. They're common to all kinds of meetings. But the elements, non-negotiable. God's perspective. The second thing that we see in this passage is that because it's non-negotiable and from God's perspective, that he commanded and then he provided. He provided Bezalel and Aholiab. That he filled those men with his spirit so that they would make everything that God showed Moses. I don't think Moses had to make a drawing of everything that he saw. I think because it was the same God that showed Moses what should obtain, then Moses starts describing it to the guys. Yep, I got it. Yep, no problem. Let me go to work. I know what to build here. And so Moses probably would have marveled over the exact duplicate in their building of what he had seen in the mount. Yet it was still his responsibility to see that ye make all things after the pattern showed thee in the mount. He still had a responsibility there. So that's the first half of the chapter. The second half of the chapter has to do not with the elements of worship, but the time of worship, the Sabbath day. And this is a very strong reiteration of the fourth commandment. We have things like forever, perpetual covenant, words like that with regard to the Sabbath day. And beloved, may I say that there are those who would say that there was no such thing as a Sabbath before Exodus 20. We've seen in the scripture that that is not true. And, that the, the, and then they would also say that, that the Sabbath was for Israel. Israel is gone. And we also know that's not true. Israel remains. The true Israel remains. And because that's true, the Sabbath also remains as that perpetual covenant. The other thing that it remains as, beloved, is a sign I love it. It's with great grief I tell you that there are Christians running around out there without the sign. We say that baptism is a sign, don't we? And if someone would tell us, I'm a Christian, one of the questions we might be tempted to ask them is what? Where were you baptized? That'd be a legitimate question, wouldn't it? When someone comes here and says, I'm a Christian, I'd like to partake with you at the Lord's Supper, one of the things we ask them is, Where's your sign? Right? Notice that the Sabbath is a sign too. It's a sign of what it means to be God's people. If we're doing something else on the Lord's Day, if we would rather watch a football game or work or pursue as Isaiah 58, 13 and 14 forbids us from doing our own words, our own works, our own stuff, what have we said about the Lord? There is no neutrality, beloved, in this. 
What have we said about the Lord if we have neglected the sign of what it means to be his people? Well, it may not be true of us. You can still be a Christian and a Sabbath breaker. Thank the Lord. But we've neglected the sign, haven't we? Here's a wonderful sign to distinguish you from all of the other people of the face of the earth in that you keep a Sabbath day holy unto the Lord as a sign that he is your God. These aren't the words of Pastor Todd. This is Moses, the prophet of the Lord, that said that. The sign is a Sabbath of what it means to belong to the Lord. If we keep the Sabbath, that means that we are saying all of our time belongs to God, but expressly one whole day in seven without another client. Right? He is our God. And we worship him one whole day in seven. It is the Lord's day and not the Lord's hour. The only other thing I'll say here and close is this. Notice in verse 17, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Moses recounts the creation week, not the creation eons. Hermeneutically speaking, those of you who have studied hermeneutics, you know this. When we start out in the beginning of a discourse, a passage in Scripture, a contextual unit of Scripture that has you know, identifiable boundaries, we'll start out and in that context there will be a word that is used. And then later on that word may be used again in that same context. There are times in Scripture where, we're giving, where we are given certain contextual clues that that word is used in an, in, in a, in a, um, in an intentional equivocation. It's used in a different way. Right? The, the Apostle Paul will do this in Romans 7. And he'll do this with the words law, and he'll do it with the word flesh. And he will say that law is this in one section, and then it's obvious he's equivocating a little bit later, with that same word law. And you know why he does that, right? He does that to draw us in, to make us think more clearly about the passage. It's a, it's a device. It's a rhetorical device. Equivocation can be rightly used. But if there is no indication in the passage that an equivocation is taking place, then it's bad hermeneutics to say it means something else. In the fourth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, and here... The word day is used throughout the narrative unequivocally. The Lord made the heavens and earth in six days and rested the seventh day. Everybody that is hearing Moses here in Exodus 31, including ourselves, we know what the word day means in this context. It's the same boundary that our Sabbath is comprised of. Now we're not keeping a Sabbath eon, beloved, We're keeping a Sabbath day. And so every time in Scripture where you hear that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, make sure you turn away from those equivocations that some would tell you are actually meant in those passages. They're not there. The fourth commandment and understanding it is as much a part of God's 
creation as it is that we do not equivocate on the word day and keeping the fourth commandment. And isn't it not strange (laughs) that those who equivocate on the word day are also very often telling you that the Sabbath is a life and it's not a day. They are consistent, but they're consistently wrong, aren't they? All right, with that then, let's stand and continue.